Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 328th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on the way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebound, it's May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys here tonight on another live edition of the show, and we get to recap Carolina's impressive 93-84 win at home over Duke um, as Carolina re- responds from the early uh, week loss this week to Georgia Tech to win the biggest game they've won so far of the season. And, you know, the, the intro that you saw there ended with a couple of Duke highlights. We may have some updated Duke highlights to put in the intro after uh, tonight's performance with the way that um, Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram and some of those guys play. Um, you know, we're going to treat this like we do every game recap. We'll take a look at the box score. You're going to hear from Hubert Davis. You're going to hear from Armando Baycott. Stat of the game and so much more. But um, we are going to just get right into this thing. Um, you know, just a, a, a big-time win for Carolina, you know, in a game that, if, if we're being honest, Carolina controlled from, from the opening tip. I mean, Duke scored the first bucket of the game. They led for 16 seconds, and that's all that Duke would lead for all night. You know, I thought going in this was going to be a prototypical Duke-Carolina game because I do think those two teams are very evenly matched. I think they're the two best teams in the conference. I think they're two teams that are capable of getting to a Final Four and getting to a national championship. And let's go ahead and and, and say this and, and be honest about it. Duke's best players played really, really good. Kyle Filipowski, good. Jeremy Roach, good. Jared McCain, good. 
Carolina's guys, Armando, Harrison Ingram specifically, R.J. Davis in the second half, they were just better. And that's what this rivalry is all about, is bringing out the best in both teams. And usually one team elevates to a different level. And tonight that was that was Carolina because <clears throat> Armando Baycott responded in a way that I think we, we kind of predicted him to. Um, I was very confident that the big fella was going to respond. And Harrison Ingram didn't look like a guy who was playing in his first ever Duke Carolina game. I mean, you would have thought he's done this five, six, seven times because he wasn't afraid of the moment, wasn't afraid to take or make big shots or make big plays. And um, really proud because you never know how this game is going to go. You never know how your your kids are going to respond. And um, for a group that even during a 10-game winning streak was being doubted, you can't doubt this team anymore after the message they sent tonight. This is the best team in the ACC, and this is a team that when they play the way they play tonight is capable of getting to a Final Four and winning a national championship. The way they played tonight, they're the best team in the country. Um, it's just that simple. Uh, I, I mean, I think this is a team that, you know, the majority of the night, their best player was not playing the way that a lot of people thought he was going to play in this game. Now, part of that is just that you have to know the flow of the game. But, I mean, yeah, Harrison Ingram, who, you know, it really – I'm not going to say struggled on the offensive end of the floor, but wasn't exactly the same type of player that he was to begin the season on that end of the floor here in these last five or six games. You know, he he has really, you know, been a guy that's that's just found a way to rebound at a high level. Um, you know, he's, he's scored when Carolina's needed him to score – but he hasn't necessarily been able to be a guy that's taken over games. It's been Carolina's leading scorer. We saw that a little bit early in the season. Tonight, you saw that again. And he doesn't end up leading the team in scoring, although having Armando Baycott lead the team in scoring is very helpful as well. But he was the guy that sort of paced things through the majority of this game. When Carolina needed a big shot, it was Harrison Ingram who was open and who would knock down the outside shots. And his perimeter shooting was huge for this team. It's been something that they've lacked at times this year. Um, really in the last couple of games where you've kind of looked and said, okay, it looks like Carolina's getting close to losing a game. And then eventually when they lost uh, earlier in the week to Georgia Tech, it was just that shots were not falling from the outside. And in this game, you needed those shots to fall because you knew they were going to be there. And every time you needed one to drop, he was there. But Armando Baycott, I mean, it's so many people were very critical of him, especially after the other night. I mean, I saw multiple people that told me that Jalen Washington should be playing more minutes than he should at this point. And tonight was a great example of why those people simply do not know what they're talking about. Armando Baycott, the impact that he's had the entire season has been huge. But you saw it really from the get-go on both ends of the floor tonight. Yes, he got off to a great start offensively. But the way he was able to defend without fouling, alter shots early in the game, really took Duke out of rhythm. Because if Duke, it looked like early on, I mean, Duke got some good looks inside. And if they find a way to finish through contact or just, just finish um, in general and not turn the ball over, then it probably makes for a much different game. But he did such a great job of affecting things on both ends of the floor. 
Um, and it just it, it never seemed to disappear. We've seen some games this year where he started the game really well, but then the scoring touch sort of dissipates a little bit. Other guys really start to take over. They don't need him as much. This was a game where Carolina realized we can go inside to him. I thought if, if he had a really successful night, it would be because, it'd be because he got Filipowski in foul trouble. He really didn't. But the difference was, was that Filipowski just wasn't ready for a fight. Armando Baycott came ready to be physical, and you know Filipowski just could not handle that on the defensive end of the floor. He, he you know scored his points, but um, I, I thought the way that Armando Baycott played in this game was exactly what you wanted to see from him. And Carolina's big three steps up, um, you know, in, in the end because R.J. Davis hits some huge shots down the stretch for Carolina, two huge second half threes, and then goes to the foul line and knocks down those foul shots for Carolina. I mean, what? What an outstanding game this was for this group. And, yeah, if people were still questioning this group, which they probably still were because they're probably looking at Oklahoma and seeing that team fade a little bit, and they're saying, oh, how many great wins are on Carolina's resume? This is the type of win that shows you that this team is a national title contender. Well, I mean, tonight's win means Carolina's played for the current AP top 10 in their 2-2. Two and two. With wins over Tennessee, who as of recording was, I believe, still winning on the road at Kentucky, and a win over Duke, and your losses were on a neutral court to UConn and on a neutral court to Kentucky. And I think, if, especially if you play the Kentucky game today, I think Carolina beats Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I think UConn is much more up for grabs than it was, you know, a month and a half ago or so. Um, you know, one thing that you got to note here is – it was a 45-35 game at the half, and which was great. I thought Carolina came out and blitzed Duke. I mean, they hit him with a 13-8, I think was the score at the first media timeout, mm-hmm. uh, which became, I think, the second year before they got to the second media timeout, which was actually, actually at the under eight. But this was a team that had blown back-to-back double-digit leads on the road um, and trailed at halftime or was tied at halftime. And in the second half, the closest Duke ever got, I think it was to seven um, after Carolina built the lead by as much as 15. And, and now that's something we we hadn't really seen them do against this type of competition since the Tennessee game, which was you, they controlled the, the game. And you got to remember the Tennessee, they were up 22 at the half. And they won by eight. So even Tennessee made a run in the second half. Mm-hmm. You go back to that win over Oklahoma, who was undefeated number seven at the time. It was a five-point game with two, three minutes to go. And that was what you expect in this game. And there were multiple times that Duke would cut it to eight, cut it to seven. And it was like if they got a stop and got a bucket, you know, you had to settle in and we were going to have a, a prototypical Carolina-Duke finish. But for whatever reason, Carolina did, did not let that happen. And it seemed like every single time the game got to that position, Baycott, Ingram, or, or, or R.J. Davis stepped up and, make, and made a play. The win- well, Cormac Ryan, too. Cor- Cormac made the mistake where he, he turned the ball over. That was a great opportunity for Duke, and he steps up and makes a play on the defensive end. So he deserves a lot of credit for what he did on that end of the floor. Uh, really competed his tail off. And then that that sequence the where Carolina had to get up a shot because they were deep in the shot clock. Ingram just does what he's done pretty much since the Oklahoma game, which is bust his butt, get on the floor for a loose ball. 
has the presence of mind to throw it back to Elliot Cadeau. The ball gets swung into the corner for a Duke three, like or or, or Cormac three. A Duke would make the game closer again. But to me, that felt like that was a nail in the coffin because you have this wild sequence where Duke should have, you know, Duke had an initial stop. Mm-hmm. You go down and get a bucket. It felt like game on. Cormac standing wide open in the three or in the corner and he, and he drills, and he drills the three. So um, it just felt like every single time Carolina had to make a play, they made a play, um, which was the story of the winning streak. Something that they didn't do the other night, but they got back to that in a big way um, this evening. The win improves them to 18 and four overall. San and one in league play. They now maintain a, a two-and-a-half game lead um, over Duke with nine games left on Carolina's ACC schedule. Um, you know, we, we talked about it going in that, you know, Hubert Davis has coached to Carolina to arguably the two biggest wins in the history of the rivalry. Uh, the win at Cameron to end Coach K's regular season and the win over them in the Final Four to end Coach K's postseason and his career – Tonight was his first home win over Duke. And, look, we know Hube, he's going to downplay it. It's a big deal because you, you don't want to be 0-3 at home against your rival. Um, not that I think he was coaching with any sorts of – any extra sense of urgency. But I think you could tell by the way that he was into the game. Um, it meant a lot to him was, was to get this win because you, 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 we, we, we have to give the crowd – a ton of credit. We know this is the best crowd when when this game happens every year. But you you go to game day this morning, absolutely as packed as a game day crowd as you can get. And then for a six thirty tip, I mean, you even mentioned this while we were hanging out. Just a just a jump, bunch of people on Twitter just talking about the energy, the vibe, the buzz. That was on campus, and that's what this game creates. We've been there, you know, on senior night for a big game, but not even then then was it being tweeted about, like, the way it was tonight. And then they get into the game broadcast. You could barely hear Jay uh, or Jay Billis and Dan Schulman. Um, And if it was as loud as it was over, you know, the television screen, you could imagine how loud it was in the arena. So – um, hats off to them. I mean, as great a home court advantage as they could provide. Well, well remember the, the the one moment they they literally could not hear a whistle go off yep. a, after a foul. Like, when was the last time we've seen something like that in the Smith Center? It's it's been a long time. So yeah, they brought it. The environment was there all day. Um, and, and I mean, look, that's the thing is that everybody always wants to say how Carolina is a wine and cheese crowd. It's, it's one of those crowds that, you know, it gets silent during a lot of portions of the game. Um, but I, I mean, throughout this year, we've really noticed it. You see during a lot of games that there are people standing a lot more than in years past. There's clearly much more buzz throughout the game. And tonight, I mean, the crowd was pretty much standing the whole game. And that's how it should be. And that's how I like it inside the Smith Center, especially for a game of that caliber. This was this was a huge game. I know that, you know, the way that Carolina controlled the game, some people may say, well, was this really a great installment of the rivalry? Guys, this was two teams that were ranked inside the top seven. Um, so, yeah, it, it meant a lot for both sides. And, yeah, I really thought the crowd knew the moment. They stepped up to it, and they were fantastic the entire night. 
Hubert Davis now evens his record against Duke. He's three and three. Will look to move to four and three in March. Is one and two now against John Shire after Shire did sweep Carolina um, last year. Carolina's now won five of the last eight, and they extended their 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 all time lead in the series to a healthy 144-117 margin. We've talked about Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram. Um, Both of them put together double-doubles, and a lot of it uh, very historic stuff. For Baycott, the first North Carolina player with 20 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists uh, versus Duke since Joseph Forte did so back in 2001. Um, Baycott is just the second Tar Heel and the first since Charlie Scott to compile 25 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists uh, against Duke. And um, with them both having 20-point double-doubles, they are the first North Carolina to do so, the the first North Carolina duo to do so against an AP-ranked team since Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter did um, did so back in 1998. Those numbers courtesy of Brian Ives, a great uh, stat guy, uh, you know, ESPN stats and info. Then, of course, Carolina basketball themselves making mo- mo- those numbers available. Take a look at the box score here. And what's odd is Duke actually shot better than Carolina did. Uh, Duke shot 51% from the field. They were 35 of 69. Carolina was an even 50%, 33 of 66. But here were your differences. Carolina, 9 of 24 from the three-point line for 38%. Duke was 5 of 19, 26%. Carolina was just – well, Carolina was 18 of 25 from the foul line. But Duke was just 9 of 11. So Carolina made – um, nine more free throws than Duke did, and they attempted 14 more free throws than Duke did. Another big favor for Carolina, just five turnovers in the game. That led to seven Duke points. Eleven Duke turnovers led to 19 points. Carolina actually came back to win the rebounding battle, 35-34. They trailed, I think it was up till the under-eight timeout in the second half, where Duke was actually winning the battle on the backboards. Duke 27-26 on the defensive glass, but Carolina 9-7 on the offensive glass. Um, Duke did outscore them in the second chance category, 16-14. Carolina's bench, though, 14-6. Duke got the better of Carolina in the paint, 54-36. But fast break points went Carolina's way, 16-12. Carolina 18 assists on their 33 made baskets. Duke just 8 assists on their 30 five made baskets, um, and Carolina led for 37 minutes, 59 seconds. Duke, as I mentioned, led for just 16 seconds. Let's now transition to the quotes of the game, and we've got two of them for tonight. And we'll start with the head coach of the Tar Heels. That was Schubert Davis, who was asked about a meeting he had with Armando Baycott earlier in the week. And how that kind of led to the performance we saw tonight from the big man. Um, again, I wanted to talk to Romano this time, not just about life, but about basketball. And, um, you know, it's really important for me for Armando to finish out his career the right way. And I just wanted to, to hear how he was feeling. 
And I, I heard those comments from him saying, taking a backseat role. And I wanted to ask him, is that what you said? And I wanted to tell him, I never said that to you. That's not what we want. And that's not what we need. And it was just a really good conversation. In the tunnel, you gave him a hug when you saw him. I did. Him. I what, did. What did you tell him in that moment? I told him I loved him. And I'm so proud of him. And I gave him a kiss on the cheek or on the neck. I couldn't get up to his cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it was good. No, it was I'm just really, really proud of him. You know, Mondo's a guy that's been here five years, been through a lot, man. Like, he, he's played on a team that came within a rebound of winning a national championship, played on a team that went 14 and 19 and you know, missed the NCAA, would have missed the NCAA tournament, and then was on a team last year that started preseason one and missed the NCAA tournament. And, and through it all, all he's ever done is wanted to win. Never cared about uh, what he did individually, and he's done a lot. He's, a, he's as accomplished a player we've seen since Tyler Hansborough come through the program. But he's never cared about what he's done individually. It's always been about the team and the name on the front of the jersey making sure that that's getting taken care of. And it's why I think I've been so defensive of him this year is because he's what we want every Carolina basketball player to embody, is a selfless player that's going to play his butt off and give yourself a chance to win. And, look, this game is this game's a legacy game. This game is, this game is all about, you know, how you're going to be remembered. Like, yes, he's got, he's got the Final Four moments and everything like that, but we'll remember these games as well. And had he lost tonight, he would have finished his career at home against Duke 1-4. and four. And he goes out and puts up a monster double-double. He gets the exclamation point um, with the dunk. And, you know, excited for the team, excited for the program. Yes, excited for Armando Bacon. Because I've, I've, I've thought the criticism wasn't warranted. And I think tonight was a reminder of the player that he is and the player that he's going to be for this team as we get into bigger and bigger games down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty damn good for a lazy player, which was what I was basically told by multiple people on social media. Um it's it's just amazing how, again, people do not realize how big of an impact he, he has on this team. Um, and tonight is one of those ones that should shut people up for a while. Um, this dude played amazing. He's the reason, one, one of the main reasons that Carolina won this game because he really was what got them off to a good start offensively. He made things easy. Um, and, you know, in this game, the difference I thought from the other night was that Carolina went to him. There were times the other night where Carolina could have gone to him, but for some reason they chose not to. They weren't in rhythm. Doesn't matter. That game's behind us probably led to this game ultimately. Tonight, there was a focus to put the ball inside to him. And, to you know, he, as Hubert Davis said, look, I don't want you to be the background guy. This is just different. This is an NBA-type mindset that this team has to have in terms of scoring because you've got so many different guys that can affect the game on that end of the floor. So, yeah, there's certain nights where RJ is just going off. Okay, you're going to want the ball in RJ's hands because he's playing well. Tonight, 
you know, this was one of those chances for Armando to step up going against a guy that a lot of people probably feel like is a better big than him with the way that he's been playing the last couple of years. And Armando said, look, you're not going to come into my gym and bully me. Um, And as you said, you know, the amazing thing is, is that he wasn't worried about the fact that it was his name that, you know, people would be talking about. It's the fact that he wanted to get a win for Carolina. He wanted to win at home. He wanted to get Hubert Davis a win. I mean, he wanted to go out with the win. He said as much on game day this morning when he, when him and RJ were talking to the guys on the set, he said, look, I want to go out with a win against Duke. I don't want to go out losing my final game in the Smith Center. And he said, you know, jokingly, I think this is my final game here um, against them. So, yeah, I mean, uh, for him to go out on top uh, against them at home probably feels really good. And, yeah, I mean, it was just – again, I saw both ends of the floor to start the game. He was outstanding. Um, If Carolina doesn't have him, if they're playing Jalen Washington more out of the gate than – I don't think Carolina's in the position that they're in. Um, I, I think he did exactly what he needed to do all night against Kyle Filipowski. And, yeah, Filipowski just – I mean, he could not respond to the physicality. At one point, you could just see it, it just wasn't there for him. Um, and I think Carolina did such a great job of feeding him tonight. That's something that they got to be able to do more of, especially once they get into the tournament because I think he's going to have some matchups that – really going to like when he gets there. It's just, you know, Carolina's got to trust them. And tonight they did that, and you see how big of a difference it makes, especially in a game of this caliber. Well, let's hear from the big man. He met with the media after the game, and he was asked from Josh Graham of WSJS, a guy that you will hear on the podcast hopefully early next week, if this was the best game of his super senior season. Do you think that's the best you've played this year? Obviously, yes, I'll say it was. What's most satisfying about your performance? I'll say that I didn't get a foul, but that was one of the main things I was telling the team, my team, and I told y'all too on Thursday. I said the biggest thing really was who got a foul trouble between me and Philip Housie. I knew that would be a game changer. And, and I thought the first time I did a great job on him, really just affecting him and kind of really just living with whatever shot he took. Yeah, I mean, I, I he, you know, he's not wrong. Um, not, I think, I think Filipowski, did he end up, did he finish with four fouls? Yes. He, yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, was, he never really got him into like serious foul trouble when the game was in the margins. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, Baycott didn't either. Um, and that's surprising because I think he played the first 13 minutes of the game because you had such that long stretch. From that first media timeout, you blew through the under twelve. Yep. You got and you know and got to the under eight mark before you got a stoppage of play, and so um, it was important because you you had to then play Jalen Washington, but you know you, you could go back to Armando because he wasn't in foul trouble. Um, and, and I I thought I thought the the, the first two fouls he got called for were were really cheap. Um, but I think the one thing they did tonight better than they've done at any point in the season is adjust to the way to the game is being officiated and not and not commit not commit those fouls. This was a personal game for Armando because if you go back to last year when Duke won in the Smith Center to effectively keep Carolina out of the NCAA tournament, who was the guy making plays for them down the stretch? It was Kyle Filipowski. It was a freshman in that environment, knowing what was on the line for Carolina, 
making winning plays. And look, he played well tonight, but he didn't meet the he didn't compete the way that Armando Baycott did. And there's no denying that Baycott had a lot of double doubles early in the season, albeit against lesser competition. He hasn't been the guy that we've known him to be was averaging just six and six over his last three games. And I do think a lot of it was him adjusting to realizing I'm not the primary option. I'm not the, the, the first guy that this team was looking to score off of that's, that's RJ Davis, but it's going to be built off of you getting post touches. And I thought just him reestablishing himself tonight as a force for 40 minutes was as big a reason why Carolina won the game as anything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's what they need more of from him. And I thought, you know, again, the, the, the screening game, you know, was fantastic from him all night. Um, you know, the, he was able to free up a lot of guys with the high ball screen, really set the offense multiple times. But he did a great job of rolling to the basket. That was what you really saw. Um, you know, out of the gate, I, I thought one of the best plays that you saw from him was him out in transition. He goes to the Euro step and, you know, finds a way to finish. Uh, despite, I, I mean, a good good job defensively by Duke. And, I mean, those are the types of things that you just like to see from him. Um, you know, he, he ends up, you know, one of the fouls that you talked about that he picks up early on was literally that one that sent it to the under uh, – that was technically the under-12 timeout. Um, it, he was just trying to take a foul there to simply – slow the game down get I mean he was absolutely exhausted um but the thing was is you know it was really great to see how quickly he sort of recovered from that on the bench you know last year if he gets stuck out there for that long who knows how long he's on the sidelines trying to recover from that but because he's in better shape because the stamina is there he was able to recover pretty quickly um and you know defensively I thought against Filipowski he did some re- he did some really good things. I, I think you know you you wondered would Filipowski be able to drive by him at certain times in this game, but it, he showed again what we've seen from him really all year, and that is the growth that he's shown on the defensive end of the floor. You talked about you know the last three games he was averaging six and six, and and I get it, but the area of the floor where he has really improved to me this year is def- is is what he does defensively and again tonight i mean it's plenty of times where they tried to get him to switch off on things and i thought he did a really good job for the most part of staying in front of guys even when he got into one of those switch scenarios the other night against georgia tech late in the game it was just a bad spot for him to get switched out on but for the most part this year, he has defended those switches very, very well. And you saw that yet again tonight. Um, I, I just, I mean, how active his hands were, creating turnovers early in the game. It, it was just, it, it's a great all-around performance from him. And, yeah, staying out of foul trouble was the most important thing for him because you know teams have been able to get him into foul trouble. It forces Jalen Washington to have to play a lot early. Having him out there for the majority of that first half was huge for Carolina, especially with the way that he was playing on the offensive end of the floor. And if he gets into foul trouble, who knows ultimately what the game ends up looking like. Who knows if Carolina is able to build that 10-point lead that they did. Stat of the game, I win points off of turnovers. Carolina plus 12 in that category, 19-7. It was really the difference in the game – Overall, and in the first half, um, 
And, you know, we saw how detrimental it was to Carolina, you know, in their loss the other night. Um, tonight they respond. They take better care of the ball. They limit Duke's possessions, and they were able to compete at a much, uh, you know, at a much higher rate defensively than they had the last night out. Well, we've, we've taken our first, you know, glance through the win over Duke. You've heard from the head coach of the Tar Heels. You've heard from Armando Baycott. We've taken a look at the box score, but coming up next, more thoughts, more takeaways. But first, Anthony's got to give you a word from our partners. Oh, you know I do, man. And look, this is the type of game where uh, you want to read the recap, you want to dive in. There's going to be an article that I'm going to put up that goes even further in depth on what we saw from the veterans tonight and how huge all those performances were. And the thing is, is that in order to read those articles – You know, sometimes you wonder, well, can I get rewarded for stuff like this? Well, now you can, guys. There's an app where you can do that. And look, you're listening to our show right now as well. Um, If you're listening back on the podcast, make sure you're doing it on the Autograph app. An app co-founded by Tom Brady is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom that they take every day, like listening to this show. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content all in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. They did this this past year, guys, with the Michigan football program, and they even sent uh, some fans to the Rose Bowl and the National Championship. They're trying to do the same thing for basketball with the Carolina side of things. So if you're a big Tariel fan, that could be the type of rewards that you could, you could get. You're already listening to our show, to other shows, uh, reading the articles, but now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it for free. And most importantly, you need a referral code to get in. Use the referral code HEELTOUGH, all one word, HEELTOUGH, the link and code, will be in our podcast description at the end of the night. All right, let's now get back into the win over Duke. Um, the first the first takeaway was the first key to the game we had, which Carolina's big three had to play and play at a high level. And, and boy, did they. We've, we've talked about what Baycott has done. We talked about the impact of Harrison Ingram and his – 21 points, 13 rebounds, 8 of 12 from 3, um, turned into a sniper from behind the three-point line, was 5 of 9 from deep. That's as well as he shot the three ball all season long. Um, he's now made, I think it's 41 threes uh, on the season yeah. at Carolina. Yep. Um, his previous two years at Stanford, he made 36 in both. So when we said going in, hey, you know, better, better players, better floor spacing, better production and not that tonight was the first time he really warranted why Hubert Davis took his entire staff to Dallas Texas to ensure that he transferred into Carolina as the as, a, as opposed to Kansas he's done that in plenty other games and in, in, in other ways tonight was just a reminder of how important he is and the difference maker he is for Carolina as they hope to get to a Final Four and win a national championship. Yeah, one of the things is that recently he has sort of struggled shooting from the field. And uh, Trevor Williams-Mark, who does a tremendous job um, for Inside Carolina, sort of pointed this out. And when you look back at it, he's right. You know, 
since Carolina has gotten into conference play, it just hasn't really been the same from Harrison Ingram, especially lately. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a guy that, as I mentioned, late in games, he was hitting shots for Carolina, but we weren't seeing that scoring punch that he was packing earlier in the season where he would get into the mid-teens. He would, you know, get into the 20s like he does tonight. And tonight, I, I think you knew it kind of from the, the early portion of the game that he was a guy that was settled in. Uh, the thing that I think most people were wondering about in this game was how would he handle being a part of the rivalry for the first time? Yeah, he's a veteran, um, not quite as veteran as you know guys like Jalen Withers, Cormac Ryan, who transferred in. So you kind of wondered, would it take him a little bit of time to settle himself? It, it didn't. He was you know great on the on, on the glass for the majority of the night, but you know his ability to space the floor in this game was huge. Um, he, he just did such a great job, I think of. You know, every time Carolina needed him to hit a catch-and-shoot three, he found a way to do it. And, you know, the way that he shot the basketball tonight, that's what you're going to need more of in the tournament, especially because Cormac Ryan, I mean, look, two of five tonight from beyond the arc, not bad for Cormac, but it's still not the Cormac that we thought we were going to get. So Harrison Ingram is that guy that, you know, Carolina needs to be able to stretch the floor from that wing position. He did that so well tonight. Um, you know, he, he was a guy that, uh, you know, all night whenever Carolina needed a basket up until the end of the game when R.J. Davis started pouring in some of those late shots for Carolina, he was the guy that was hitting those clutch jumpers. And he had a couple of mid-range shots as well, leaning away. I, I mean, some of the toughest shots that you're going to see. But that's how you could tell that he was in rhythm the entire night. I mean, what a tremendous performance from him. And it matches up with Armando's 25 and RJ's 17. That's the thing about RJ. You know, or, or throughout most of the night, I think there were some people that were kind of panicking a little bit. Why isn't RJ playing well? I mean, look, at the time, Carolina, I'm not going to say they didn't need RJ to hit some shots. It, it, you know, he's, he's that important of a player. But when you have – guys like Armando and Ingram playing as well as they are, it took the pressure off of RJ. And then when he needed to make two big threes for Carolina down the stretch, he hits them, he takes over the game at the foul line. And, you know, that that was what Carolina needed tonight. They needed those big three to step up and be a huge part of what they did in this game. Because, yeah, the bench is is good. They had some guys that stepped up, and we're going to talk about them here in just a couple of minutes. But in order for Carolina to win games against these types of opponents, you need your three best players to play at their best. And you said it coming in. How many times have we really seen that from Carolina throughout the year? Well, tonight, when they desperately needed it, these guys stepped up and did it. Um. R.J. Davis scored four first-half points, and Carolina was up 10. Mm-hmm. That that speaks volumes. This team learned has learned how to win without big games from Armando Baycott. And in the first half, they were playing as well as they've had in any half this year with their best player not playing at the level that we expect him to play. And don't know, don't know if you noticed this – um, as we hung out and watched the game, when he went to the foul line to start basically putting the game away, got pretty emotional um, watching him at the foul line. 
Um, there's no doubt that I couldn't tell you were screaming most of the evening. So it was hard to kind of fi- figure out where the emotions were there. There's no denying. Um, he, he is my favorite player on this team. Um, when it's all said and done, he's at least going to be my third favorite Tar Heel when this, when his career finally comes to an end, there is a, there's a love and a gratitude I have for him that, you know, is right there in the same breath as Marcus Page, who is to this day, my favorite Tar Heel and, and watching this kid overcome everything he's endured to be on the biggest stage this sport has to offer and making free throws. There was just something beautiful about it. And then when Roger Ayers completely screws him and calls as, as God awful a hook and hold as I've ever seen in the history of my life. And I'm seeing my point guard on the floor, darn near probably concuss. And he goes to the bench and they check him out. And you see him get up and check himself back into the game. That's tough little nut personified. And I, I don't know what this season holds. I hope it's a ACC regular season title. I, I hope it's a Final Four. And I, I pray to God it's a national championship. But I'm comfortable going wherever that kid takes us. And I haven't said that since Marcus Page. And I haven't said that since Joel Berry. He's he's in that category of a leader, of a player, of a fighter. And as much as I wanted this win for the team, the program, myself as a fan, I really wanted this win for R.J. Davis because I don't know if he's coming back. I'd, I, I, will, I will welcome him back, and I would darn near fund his NIL for him to come back for a super senior season. But to get that win at home over Duke, and he's at the one at the foul line icing it away, for this R.J. Davis fan, it was a lot of fun to watch. And as long as I've got four on my team, I feel pretty confident the outcome's going to go the way I want it to go. Yeah, I mean, look, man, he, he's such an easy kid to root for because he, he just he plays hard um, no matter what. He's always played hard. Like, that's the thing we've never questioned about him. Like, even, you know, it, it, last year when – you know, there were questions about who really cares, who, who are the guys that are going to step up and, and try to rally this team. He, he was the guy that was trying to do what he's done this year it, it, before he suffers the thumb injury. And, and, and that was that completely changed everything. If he doesn't suffer that that injury, he, he wills Carolina to the tournament because he's just so clutch. And you saw it again tonight. Not having his best night, um, you know, part of it was that they they simply just didn't need it to get into his hands because Ingram was shooting the ball so well. Armando was just dominating inside that, you know, I think RJ did saw that, hey, I don't need to be the guy that's forcing things. He did a little bit early in the game. There were some shots that, you know, he was throwing up and we were kind of scratching our heads, but um, you know, I think that's part of just what you get with RJ. He's an aggressive player, and that's the thing that we love about him because late in the game, he gets two looks, knocks down a, a huge three, um, 
and you know that that Carolina really needed at the time, both times, and I mean, it was really the difference. Then, and then you, the trust you have in him down the stretch to put the ball in his hands. Um, but man, he, he is such a fun player to watch. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm so glad because I, I thought coming into this year, and I said it when we talked about him, he was the guy that was primed for that big leap. He was primed to be that net that take that senior leap that we've seen some from so many guys and look yeah i'd love to have him back next year i want to give him a reason not to come back i, I want to win a national championship because i think if, if he wins a national championship he's a first team all-american like this dude i mean he's gonna have his jersey up in the rafters and i, I mean he's gonna be pretty far up there in terms of great players to play at North Carolina and especially amongst the fan favorites. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to go as far as, as Brennan Robinson said tonight, him and, uh, and Garrison Brooks, they got on an Instagram live after the game. Um, and he said that he believes that his number would be retired. If that ends up happening, I think that's, I mean, it's a conversation. I think it would be one that you would have to have, um, but, man, he is having such a special season. I know his points per game average will go down a little bit because of this, but, I mean, it really doesn't matter um, to me. He, he's just – I mean, he is putting together one of those truly special seasons. Um, and this was this was a huge win that, that I think is part of the legacy for him that we'll remember for a long time. Really quickly, as it, was, it is getting late into the night, but some other things we got to talk about. We still got some people hanging on here, though. Um, Carolina's perimeter defense was was suffocating. Um, you know, it, it's weird to look at a box score and see that you gave up 84 and Duke shot 51% and you give up 54 in the paint. And Dan Schulman, um, Jay Billis, both raving about Carolina's defensive effort. Because Duke was 5 of, of 19 from behind the three-point line. Um, which is 26%. They didn't get a three-point attempt. It was – I believe it was into the under eight mark of the second half. It was definitely the under 12 because Billis highlighted it as the game was getting late and Duke needed points. Carolina just took that away from them in the second half. And we talked so much about going into the game tonight. How do you respond after Georgia Tech shot 45%? And if you watch the game, there was a lot of the same actions that you saw on Tuesday. You saw those actions again tonight. Carolina just defended it better because they, they, they got back to defending the pick and roll the way that they have been, um, which is not as much as drop coverage, whether they were pinching or hedging um, their screens and really just making Duke have to really work around whatever screen was being set. And – you know, it felt like felt like every time Duke took a three, they were almost settling for it, um, and it wasn't something that they got within the rhythm or in the flow of their offense. And, and to me, like as much of that's player execution, to me that's a b- big kudos to this coaching staff getting getting them in a position to respond and prepare to to defend at a high level in that area because Duke was the best three-point shooting team in the in, in the conference entering the game. 
and they never once looked comfortable. They never once, you know, got into a rhythm from behind the three-point line. And, you know, I, I think that as much as, as, as anything was the reason why Carolina's defense was so in tune because I mean, Carolina ran off of off of Duke's of misses tonight. Like, sure. I looked at you plenty of times and said, we haven't ran like this in five years. Um and hopefully this wasn't just the Duke game bringing it out of them. This is something that maybe they're building towards getting back to. But Duke's uh, just never never got into a rhythm from behind the three-point line. And as much as you could say it was them missing shots, you could say that they were missing shots because of the way Carolina defended them. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. I mean, how many different times are you going to be able to defend the three-point line like this against good three-point shooting teams? And it's not just going to be that the teams are having off nights. No, I thought they they did a great job. And you said that like right when we began the podcast – that all of dudes, you know, their best players played well. Yeah, to a certain extent, but Tyrese Proctor did not. And that's a key guy for them because when he has scored the ball at a high level, that's when Dukes won a lot of games. And in this game, he goes one for six from the field. Carolina completely takes him away. And, you know, the, the majority of the night, it was two guys that were guarding him. You had Cormac Ryan, who did a fantastic job on him the entire evening. And, I mean, he made, you know, those defensive plays late in the game that we'll be talking about. But really what he was able to do against Tyrese Proctor after Duke fans begged for him to be the guy that was guarding him, um, it's it's amazing. Like, it was just a tremendous job all around. Um, you know, the, the – and, and – you also had Seth Trimble, who I think just continues to do exactly what, what we know that he's capable of doing, which is defend at a high level. And, you know, he did a good job on the offensive end, driving the basket as well. That's when he's going to be most successful, getting out in transition. But the way that he played defensively for most of the evening when he was on the floor was huge for Carolina. It's exactly what they needed in this game. Um, but the guy that was really the difference maker out there, um, you know, even in the pain at times, was Harrison Ingram. I mean, he had four steals in this game. Cormac had two. But, I mean, Ingram was the guy that really set the pace of creating those turnovers. And to me, that that was the biggest thing. Yeah, this team defended very well on the perimeter. But they created turnovers, and they were turnovers that led – to high-quality opportunities because of how the team ran. And it allowed Carolina to finish uh, a lot of those turnovers. I mean, 11 turnovers, you turn it into 19 points. I mean, that is absolutely huge for Carolina. So just overall, and we've said it, this team has defended at a really high level. This is the first team that scored 70, uh, over 70 on Carolina, or no, I I, I don't remember. Second team, Georgia Tech did so on Tuesday. There you go. So so back-to-back games. But before that, I mean, Carolina had done such a great job of defending that since that Oklahoma game, they had not allowed over 70 points. Tonight was one of those games where it felt like, especially late, Carolina was willing to give them some of those shots inside if it meant that they weren't giving up the threes that would have allowed Duke back into this game. So, yeah, you need to probably focus a little bit more um, you know, it, it, before the next game on trying to stop the dribble drive penetration that allowed them to get to the paint at times tonight. 
um, especially with a guy like Jared McCain. But I think other than that, you know, you, you, you feel pretty good about the fact that you didn't let them get to what has allowed them to win a lot of games this year, which is their shooting from the outside. Last real takeaway before we get into tonight's discussion topic. We talk about this game and an unsung hero always emerges. Um, as much as this brings out the excellence in your great players, you need someone that you don't expect to play at a high level to show up and make plays. And tonight that was Seth Trimble, 10 points off the bench, five of nine from the the, the field, and all five makes, I'm pretty sure, came in and at the rim. Mm-hmm. And a guy that Tuesday missed a couple layups that kind of changed the way that game ended up going, missed one again tonight in a 10-point game where you thought – uh, if this game gets goes the other way, are we looking back at this moment and thinking that's where it turned? But later in the in that same sequence, made a play at the rim. Um, you know, we we talk about this game being a tournament game. Um, that's why guard play is so important. That's why foul trouble is so important. You also see your rotation be utilized different, and Carolina, and you saw that from Hubert tonight. Um, he just played eight players, um, and only two guys off the bench played double-digit minutes. But even Jalen Withers impacted the game in his 10 minutes. Jalen Washington in his four minutes, big offensive rebound and a putback. But I, I'm, I'm, I, tonight I'm here to celebrate Seth Trimble because the way he responded after what happened the other night is is why coaches coach, and it's, it's, it's why – it, it, it's why you believe in them is because they, they made a mistake. And what did Coach Smith always say? When you make a mistake, you address it, you learn from it, and you move on from it. And they recognize the mistake, um, not not laying up layups off the backboard, trying to lay them up in the cylinder. It's much harder to do. There's a reason why the backboard is there. There's a reason why they put a square on the backboard. But and it makes a big difference. Because he can get there as as much as anybody on this team can because he's so athletic. And God knows when he jumps, he can cover 25 feet if he wants to. Um, But Carolina doesn't win this game without Seth Trimble's 10 points, without his defense on Tyrese Proctor, and then his ability at at some point or at different points to facilitate, um, you know, their primary and their secondary break as he led the charge for, for Carolina's bench which outscored Duke's bench 14 to 6. Yeah, I mean, look, he just there's so many different things that he can do. I mean, yeah, we mentioned what he does on the defensive end of the floor, but I thought the area where he made the, the biggest impact was how impact, important he was in pushing the tempo for Carolina. That's that's what he does. That's when he's at his, his best. Um, and that's something that, you know, we saw from him a lot coming out of high school. It's the reason that we thought we'd see a lot more of that, um, you know, from him right out of the gate at Carolina. You didn't see it a ton last year. There were times, but you it, he, he's not a guy that, you know, really attracts the ball as the primary ball handler. But tonight you saw him do so many different things with the ball in those fast break scenarios and 
I mean, his ability to get to the rim and finish in those situations is amazing. And I thought that was exactly what Carolina needed tonight because tempo was going to be important. Duke is one of the slower teams in the ACC in terms of tempo. They're not a team that likes to run. Now, tonight, there were times where they did run. It was very interesting. They, they scored um, some baskets off of the transition. But, I mean – you saw a commitment from Seth Trimble when he was on the floor. If there was a turnover, even off made baskets, let's get down the floor. I need to hustle, find a way to make a play at the rim. And I think, you know, knowing that that's where his strength is at, I mean, we've seen it, you know, early in the year. He was a guy that had sort of settled in a little bit um, from beyond the arc, was knocking down some shots out there. Those aren't going right now. And so he knows, look, I need to get down the floor. I need to get to the rim, and that's where I'm going to have a chance to finish. And I, I thought he, he did such a great job in helping Carolina establish the tempo throughout the night. And if he wasn't that impactful you know, in doing that or as impactful as he was on Tyrese Proctor – this could certainly have been a different game. So a great performance from Setrum. Let's get into our discussion topic really quickly. Um, was trying to figure out where I wanted to go. Uh, we're not deep enough in the Hubert Davis era for us to do where does this win rank amongst Duke all time. Um, it's very clearly that it's, this is the third biggest win all time against Duke behind his first two. Um, and rightfully so. I couldn't help but keep going back to Armando um, and just thinking about what tonight means for him. Hopefully this is the springboard for him reemerging as a premier big man in this conference and in, and, and in the country. Because, and I think, you know, not to belabor the point, Carolina can't achieve what we want to achieve without him. Like they're they're good to beat. Yes, they're they're good enough to beat the Boston Colleges, the Syracuses, you know, those types of teams without Armando being Armando. But to beat Duke, to beat the the, the better teams that, that this sport has to offer, he has to be a big part of Carolina's success. And um, you know, I think it was good of Hubert Davis to remind him, I never asked you to take a back seat. Um, that's going to happen naturally just with the emergence of a guard and the way that Carolina runs its offense, the way they play. Like, if you have a, a dominant guard, yes, he's going to emerge. I think he was kind of just taken aback at what Harrison Ingram just turned into once we got into ACC play, which was just a, a freak of nature and an animal on the glass and trying to figure out his role. Tonight's a reminder. You're not our best player. Our best player is R.J. Davis. Mm -hmm. You're the most important player. And if we're going to do the types of things that you came back to do and you want to leave the legacy that you've always talked about leaving, and he's left a pretty doggone good one as it is, but to achieve everything, and you haven't done everything because you haven't hung a banner yet, you've got to be a big reason why. And, and hopefully tonight was – the the reemergence of him as this team will look to close out an ACC regular season championship down the stretch. Well, I, I think the thing that's that's interesting, and I, I believe it was Debbie Antonelli who was on with you that said, you know, he's kind of just sort of picking and choosing his moments. Um, tonight really showed that when Carolina needs him, 
he's going to be there for Carolina. He, he has that ability. Um, I think a lot of people have just thought have thought to themselves that this is a guy that's just not ready for the moments. He's not ready to step up. Um, Which is just a wild thing to say when you put together six straight double doubles in an NCAA tournament run. Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't. If they get back to the NC, you know, the NCAA tournament, and they're in a position to make a run like that. I mean, do I think he's going to probably have six double-doubles again? Probably not. I mean, it's possible. But, like, yeah, I mean, when you got a guy that's rebounding the way that Harrison Ingram is, like, I feel like the thing that sucks about the way that he played in that 21-22 season was that now everybody expects him to come out. They, They expect him to be a guy that averages 20 points and 16 rebounds. And, guys, like, there, there's just not players that do that outside of Zach Eady in, in modern college basketball. And Zach Eady does it because he's huge and there's no way to actually defend him. You foul him literally every time you try to defend the man. Um, but Armando is a guy that, you know, every time that we seem to look and say, man, we need him to step up in this position. This was one of those games we tabbed it. And, and, and people are probably going to say, the people that are detractors of him are going to say, well, you know, it was the Duke game. What do you expect? Of course he's going to step up in this game. But, again, I, I've gone back, and, I, I mean, you know, even though he's not playing great on the offensive end of the floor, people that do not realize that his impact defensively has been huge for Carolina on that end of the floor – but you talk about why Carolina has made such a huge jump in defensive efficiency. I mean, one of the main reasons is because of how he is playing on the inside. I mean, guys, look, they've done a good job at preventing players from getting to the lane, something that was such an issue for them the last couple of years. But at the same time, I mean, we've seen some teams that have been able to drive the basket pretty successfully. The difference is, is you got a big man in there that is protecting the rim as good as any big man has in I mean, who knows how long for Carolina? It's felt like it's been a really, really long time. So, I mean, I I think he's a guy that just proved tonight that when Carolina has games where they need him to step up, and that'll happen when they get into the ACC tournament. Um, You know, I mean, before that, the second game with Duke, there'll be other games probably against Virginia, the way they're playing. Um, You know, but especially when they get to the NCAA tournament, this is a guy that's going to be prepared to do that. People are panicking because they think, oh, we're not seeing the same Armando Baycott that we saw in that 21-22 season. But the thing is, is if he was playing that way, wouldn't he be taking some of the other guys out of the game that are doing so many important things for Carolina. Like I just, I don't understand that mindset of, man, we want Armando to be hogging the basketball all the time and just going to work because we think that he's supposed to reach a certain stat line. Go back and look at that team, guys. If, if the, he wasn't playing the way that he was playing, that team would have been nowhere near where they actually ended up. They needed him to be that great. This team, it's so much more spread out. There's other guys that have shined at moments where it's allowed Armando to not have to be the guy that's forcing things just to try to make plays. I I, I like the way that he's playing for the most part. I just think that people are too busy reading box scores, and tonight just proved you need to trust the man a little bit. Yeah, hopefully this is just a reminder to himself, the fan base, the ACC, and the college basketball world just how dominant 
of a big man he is and that when the the the, the lights are the brightest he'll be there to shine well that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast guys but before we let you go we do encourage you visit the website heeltoughblog.com Full coverage of the win over Duke can be found. A recap of the game um, is posted on the website already. Anthony will have uh, some some thoughts on the game as well as we uh, will fully just break down, re- recap, and enjoy the win over on the website. That's HealToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. But with that, guys, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do want to thank everybody that tuned in to the live edition of the broadcast. Do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys listening on the audio platform. And as always, go Tar Heels and go to hell, Duke. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.